And so um, it's been too long, and we're excited to see you again. We've missed you, and uh, can't wait to worship with you next week. Just as uh, one more quick reminder, if you didn't get everything on that wrap, you need to sign up for the worship service at carneyefree.com, and we have a limit on the number of people though, that can attend each worship service in each of the three different rooms, the auditorium, the venue, and the chapel. If you would rather be in a smaller worship service with fewer people, the chapel might be the right place for you or the venue might be the right place for you. We have a service that's specifically for uh, older folks and those who feel like they might be immune compromised at 9.15 in the auditorium. That could be the right service for you. And so uh, look through those and they reach cap and then they close down. We leave just a little bit of room for, for walk-ins, but we do need you to sign up so that we can assure for social distancing. We encourage you to come. We are doing everything in our power as a staff and with a great volunteer team to make it a safe, joy-filled worship service that you can come and feel free to enjoy worshiping God with your community once again. So, love for you to be a part of that. Next Thursday night or Sunday morning is the same worship services on two different evenings or into Sunday evening at 7 o'clock as well. Well, hey, as we get started here this morning, uh, what I'd like to do before I really leap into this morning's message is kind of put a bow on our Dangerous Prayers for Disturbing Times series and then also, to some degree, put a bow on our Sunday to Everyday initiative. That's an initiative we've been working on for the past eight or nine months. And our church has been seeking to love the one in our neighborhood, love the one in our workplace, move our faith from Sunday morning to every day. And my, we've had so many opportunities to do that over these past few months. And we've uh, collected a number of stories over the past number of months, which you can go watch at carneyefree.com. But right now, I want to share just a few stories that we got from some of you over these past couple weeks about how you have grown in your faith through our Dangerous Prayer series and also how you have grown in your everyday ministry to your community in the Sunday to Everyday Initiative. So take just a moment to look at this video. Loving our neighbors is a priority for Judy and I. So uh, during the pandemic... Uh, we decided that we would share meals with three of our neighbors. Uh, all three are empty nesters and they have significant health issues within their family. So Judy cooks a meal uh, at least once a week and sometimes two, and then we share it with them. This is our way of, of sharing the love of Christ with them. It gives us an opportunity to pray with them about the challenges that they face and have faced during the pandemic. Sandra and I have been reaching out to our neighborhood for years, making friends, modeling being a neighbor, connecting neighbors to neighbors, uh, and networking. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, we had a major landscaping project, a stimulus project. Uh, we were so blessed by the help and encouragement from the neighborhood. We are seeing temporal fruit and we are praying for eternal fruit. Glory to God. I've grown in loving the one uh, through connecting with my neighbors, uh, especially during the quarantine time. Um, but my neighbors have been much more open to connecting, much more open to talking over the fence or in the front yard. And it's been an opportunity to get to know them better 
and get to uh, have a good conversation with them. And I feel like it's built more trust with them and it's helped me to get to know them more and I've really enjoyed that. And it's been an opportunity to show them uh, that God loves them and that we love them. And I've been thankful for the initiative and its encouragement to love the one. So I feel like God is just, it hasn't been a big, huge, monumental thing, but just these little steps of, okay, now I'm just aware that there's these people right where I am and I can just do simple things like saying hi or making them bars or going over to check on their yard. So I feel like God has really used that. One of the things I was struck by coming out of the Dangerous Prayer series is how often we pray for our circumstances to change. We pray for our circumstances for ourselves, our family, and those around us. And and that's good to pray for changing circumstances, but more often than not, God is trying to change our hearts and change us. And two passages of Scripture come to mind. The first one is in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6.10, where Christ is instructing his disciples how to pray, and he, he tells them to pray that your will be done, and that's God's will. And all too often, that does feel like a really dangerous prayer for us, because God's will isn't always easy. God's will doesn't always match our plans. It doesn't always match our preferences. But the balance to that is how Paul responds in 2 Corinthians 12, verses uh, uh, 9 and 10. And he's asking, and he's asked multiple times for God to remove a thorn from his side. And um, he doesn't do it. But God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So the balance of God's will is God's grace. Good morning, Ephraim. Last October, I had read that what you think about and what you spend your time on says a lot about your relationship with God. And that thought kept kept coming back to me. And one morning when I was running on my treadmill, I kept thinking about that. And when I came up to do my quiet time, I can't even tell you the pain my heart felt when I realized that all these years I'd been given God my seconds. And I, I claimed to the promise that he said, you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And he's been faithful. It's a powerful testimonies, aren't they? To hear those from a handful of people in our church. And now is a really good time, I think, for us as a church family, perhaps in these next several days, to even pause and reflect God, what is it that you have taught me about prayer through the Dangerous Prayer series? What's one takeaway that I want to bring with me as we turn the page over to 1 Peter? And what is one takeaway that I want to continue to work on relative to this idea of Sunday to everyday ministry, even as we begin to move into somewhat more normal lifestyle than we've had over the past few months? God's been so faithful in this series and in this initiative over these past months. I want to just take a moment here before I jump into the message and pray a word of thanksgiving for what God's done in our church. Would you join me? Father, we are so grateful for these testimonies. I love to hear someone say, I've kind of given God my seconds, and now I've learned again to give him the first thing of my life as I've learned to be more devoted to prayer again. God, would you do that in each and every one of us? Even this morning, we ask, God, that you would convict and you would lead us along those lines. We thank you, Lord, for the testimonies of how you've helped many people in our church become more aware of their neighbors and their coworkers and begin to boldly reach out in love to them.
through the love of Christ. We pray that that would continue, that we would be more and more the fragrance of Christ to those around us each and every day. Father, we are not done with these. We always continue to keep growing in prayer. We intend that everyday ministries would be a normative part of all that we do at Carney E. Free Church. And so we invite you, God, to keep using us for your honor and your good and for the benefit of those around us even this week. We give you thanks and praise for what you've done in our church over this past season through these initiatives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, there's an ancient West African proverb, and I don't know the exact date that it originates, but it, it goes back quite a ways. And it's deeply impacted my life over the past years. And it goes like this When you pray, move your feet. It stayed even more simply than that this way. Pray with your feet, i.e., look up and then look out. God, where is it that you want to send me? Where do you want me to serve you? We begin to pray with our feet when we keep praying through those prayer statements that we've had over these past months. God, make me aware. God, move me with compassion. God, make me bold for you. We're going to see a great example of that, though, this morning in the book of Exodus chapter 3. I wonder if you would turn there with me right now, right where you're sitting in your living room or around the kitchen table. Perhaps you, as a family or individually, would open up your Bible or your YouVersion app to Exodus chapter 3. It comes right after the book of Genesis, start of your Bible. And this is a wonderful narrative of God and a man named Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And Moses is going to respond to God in this passage with three simple words that are going to be our dangerous prayer for today as we wrap up this series. Here I am. These are three words that Moses is going to say to God as he kneels before him and he responds to God's invitation. Follow me now. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Here I am, God. I'm ready for you. I'm ready for what you would call me to do. This is his response, and this really needs to become our prayer. Here I am. I'm yours that you would spend me as you wish, God. 
Now the story goes on and Moses wasn't a pure figure just as we are not pure and he has some mixed motives here, maybe not mixed motives, but he has some mixed response and you see this glorious response from the character of God and I talk to many people just as an aside who wonder, does God have emotion? Does God care about what I go through? If you wonder whether God has emotion, listen to God's response here. Verse five, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. He's moved by their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey and all kinds of beauty, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Say that real fast. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses responded the first time to God's whisper, here I am, but do you know how he responded the second time? The second time as he learns about his specific assignment from God, Moses says to God in verse 11, who am I? From here I am, God, to... Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I mean, Pharaoh's the king. He's one of the most ruthless men in the world, one of the most powerful men in the world. Who am I that I should call Israel out of Egypt and go confront Pharaoh? He says, here I am. And then like many of us, when we sign up to it, for a task, he finds that he's kind of a little bit over his skis and he's looking down the cliff and he said, what did I get myself into here? Here's here's a takeaway. Here's a principle you want to write down. When you pray, here I am, you can be sure that God will invite you to something bigger than you. When you choose to pray, here I am, then you can be sure God will invite you to something bigger than you are. Moses understands this is way bigger than me. Who am I to confront Pharaoh? Who am I to stand before this king? You might say, who am I to love my neighbor? Like, I know that I'm supposed to go out and love my neighbor. Adrian, the church has been talking about that, but I really can't stand my neighbor. Like, I know I'm supposed to love my literal neighbor with all of his warts and foibles and sins that are very different than my sins. But I'm not sure that I have what it takes to love my neighbor who has sins that are so very different than mine, who has political political preferences that are so very different than mine, who looks and who eats so very different than I do. How how am I going to love him? God, God will invite you to something bigger than you. I know I should fight for my marriage, but I'm not sure if I have anything left to fight for my marriage. It's bigger than you. 
here I am. I don't have what it takes to serve that single mom down the street or to check on that widow down the street, even though I know God is calling me to do so. I don't have what it takes, sometimes we feel like, to stand up to that bully, even though I know God calls me to speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. You gotta understand that when you pray to God, here I am, you are inviting God to give you something that is bigger than you. But the beautiful thing about this is God equips those he calls. So if God invites you to something big, bigger than you, he will equip you to that which he calls you. And the way that our God equips us is a little bit different. Like, it's not about my power. It's not about my might. It's not about my resources. The way God equips us is the same way that he equipped Moses here in this passage. Moses says, who am I? And and here it is. Don't miss this. This is the primary way that God equips us. Verse 12. God says, I will be with you. Who am I? I'll be with you. Moses, did you forget? Harpu. Relax, Moses. Be still and know that I am God. I got this. Relax, Moses. I got this. And you see, God equips us with something bigger than a really great personality. That might help in some situations, but He equips us with something more than wealth or more than human power. Those things might help in some situations, but really what God equips us with is himself. He promises to be with us and be for us in whatever we go through, that we would depend on him more and more each and every day through the vehicle of prayer, and then we'd be emboldened to act for the things that he calls us to in this world. Let me just uh, repeat for you this definition for prayer that we've shared a couple times in this series. It's just this. Prayer is the very real you having a very real conversation with a very real God. Not a pretend, make-believe God. Not a pretend, make-believe you. The very real you. Having a real conversation with the real God. And it includes things like adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication, that acronym ACTS, which can be helpful for us. And also just listening, as Pastor Brian led us so beautifully last Sunday, learning to listen to, to the Holy Spirit. And Moses does this. Like if you read the rest of the story, he teeters back and forth between courage and cowardice. He goes back and forth from courage to cowardice. But what he does is he goes back to God. The real Moses bringing real concerns to a real God again and again and again. And over time, he is emboldened to eventually go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. This was his battle. This was Moses' crisis. Friends, what's the crisis that you are facing today? You're sitting at home today. Just think with me through this. What is the crisis, what is the battle that you are facing today? 
I've noticed over the course of a number of years that people, including myself, tend to respond to our various crises, whatever they might be, in one of two different ways. Sometimes we respond with fear and self-preservation, and other times we respond to our crises with love and faithfulness. And whatever your crises might be right now, it could be the death of a loved one. It could be the loss of a job. It could be a deep trouble in your marriage. It could be a trouble with one of your children. It could be coronavirus. It could be cancer. Who knows what it might be. We will tend to respond to that crisis either with fear and self-preservation or love and faithfulness. In the past three months, I've responded with both on several occasions. I've been like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, me. Like all of us are this way. This is true for all of us. In the midst of crisis, we respond with one of these two emotions. But then we fall on holy ground before God and we pray through the crisis, well, whatever it might be, and we ask God for help and he gives us courage. I want to encourage you to ask yourself though this question this week and have this dialogue with one friend or one family member this week. Just this one question, here's your assignment for this week. What stops me from saying, here I am, God send me? What stops you from saying, here I am, God send me? Process through that with one friend or one family member this week. For me, oftentimes, it's busyness. One of the things that I have to adjust in the new normal, whatever the new normal looks like, is not getting so busy again that I don't have room in my schedule for God to interrupt what I am doing and sometimes redirect where he wants me to go. That's a problem. I have to process through that, and I have. And as we move into the new normal, I gotta be sure that I don't get thrust back into that again. Uh, for others, what prevents us from responding, here I am, God, send me, is a concern that we might get burned. Like, if I help this hurting person, what might happen to me? Might they take advantage of me? And then we get into the what-ifs game that begins to snowball down. For some, it's tribal politics. I don't want God to call me to love someone who is so unlike me. Well, God will do that. Oftentimes, what it really comes down to in terms of why we don't say, God, send me, here I am, God, send me, is actually a misunderstanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me give a little illustration. In our culture today, many, many churches teach, and many Christians, I think, just kind of happen to begin to believe of the gospel like this, that the gospel comes into our lives, this PVC pipe is us, comes into our lives and then at the end of the PVC pipe it stops with us and we get to be the receptacles of all the joy and all the hope and all the peace that God wants to provide and 
It's really easy if you think of the gospel like that, and we all can fall into this, to end up in this place of fear and self-preservation when me and mine are threatened. But we know that's not really the gospel. The gospel is more like this, that we are this PVC pipe, and God connects to us a conduit, not a stopper. And the conduit is so that the warmth of God's love and his grace would come into our lives, but it wouldn't stop with us. It would go on through us to others as well. That we are not stoppers. We are conduits of what God has given to us. And so we don't look mostly for self-preservation. We look mostly for love of God and people and faithfulness to whomever and whatever he calls us to. Now, this is super difficult to live like this, isn't it? When my safety is threatened, I don't really want to live like that. And again, that's really where prayer has to come in for us. And we can take comfort from knowing that Moses struggled with this too. You look at chapter 4, Moses was a hot mess when he encounters all this with God. First he says, who am I, in chapter 3. Then chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered, What if they don't believe me or listen to me, God? That's not all. Then verse 10, he goes on to say, Moses says to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. To which God is like, Do you know who made the tongue? And then finally, one more time, Moses says, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Don't send me. And so God sends Aaron with Moses, Moses' brother, to go and help. And once again, eventually, through much prayer, they're emboldened and to the risk of their own lives. Again and again and again, they go before Pharaoh and they say, Let my people go. Not once, many times. And how did he become more and more emboldened to do that? Because he kept falling on his knees in prayer before God. And this is what happens to us. As we fall on our knees in prayer before God, he emboldens us to face our crises, whatever they may be, and see them as the crises they are, but then to keep moving as we learn more and more to pray with our feet, God, would you please send me? You know, if you know your Bible, though, this is all over the scriptures. Like, Isaiah didn't want to speak to idolatrous Israel. But he said, here I am, God. Okay, I'll call them to repentance even though I don't want to. Here I am, God. The good Samaritan is walking on his way and he sees some religious leaders go by this man who's beaten up on the side of the road and they ignore him. But the good Samaritan says, even though this man is of a different ethnicity than me, even though he is unclean, even though he's broken and I don't know how he got in this situation, I'm gonna go to this man and help. Here I am, send me. He's a conduit of God's love, a conduit of faithfulness. And of course, the greatest is Jesus who says, not my will, but yours be done, God, all the way to the cross I will go, because as great as my fellowship was 
across eternity past with you, God. We don't want to stop with us, so here I am, Father, send me, and I will die for the sins of the world. He was the ultimate conduit for the faithfulness of God. And you know, historically, this is what Christians have done when encountering community and global and national crises across the ages. What they have done is prayed through their fears and then sought to live boldly and sacrificially. There's a sociologist and historian by the name of Rodney Stark who documents extensively in his book, The Rise of Christianity, the reasons why Christianity rose to prominence in the first four centuries after the death and resurrection of Christ. And mind you, when Stark wrote this book, he was not a follower of Christ. But as he did his history and looked into the sociology of it, listen to this story. Even if you're not a history buff, just listen to this story. It's an amazing one. Between A.D. 165 and 181, smallpox came into the Roman Empire and it killed one-fourth of the 60 million people in the Roman Empire. And as it did, the Roman elite fled to the hills. Then about 75 years later, in the year 251 AD, measles swept through the empire and killed one-third of all of those who remained. And once again, the Roman elite moved into the hills and the pagan Roman priests they moved into the hills and had nothing to do with it and Christianity at this time in the Roman Empire was a small but growing minority and listen to what Christians did in each of these plagues in the Roman Empire Christians bonded together in solidarity with one another and their bonds of community helped to protect them to give them a survival rate that was far greater than their pagan neighbors. Not only did they bond together in solidarity with one another in community, but they chose as a people that we are going to provide basic nursing to one another and to our pagan foes who do not like us. And they stayed there in the valleys while the Roman elite went up into the hills. Shortly thereafter, the Roman emperor, the pagan emperor Julian, was deeply troubled by the ways that Christians nursed both friend and foe alike through sickness. And he was troubled by the way Christians cared for the poor while his own pagans ran up for the hills. And these are the words of Emperor Julian as he's reflecting on the growth of Christianity in his Roman empire. Listen to this. When it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, then I think the impious Galileans, that was a word for Christians, observed this fact and they devoted themselves to philanthropy. They support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. Julian saw this and he even proposed this plan to the Roman priests of the day in their polytheistic religions to do something similar to what the Christians were doing. But the Roman priests would have none of it because their polytheistic religion didn't have the moral backbone to embrace self-sacrifice. It was after self-preservation rather than self-sacrifice. But it was the Christians who chose love and faithfulness 
And within a short time, just about 100 years later, Christianity became the dominant religion of the Roman Empire, and it grew through two ways, community bonds and massive conversions, as Romans saw this very different way that the Galileans were living, and they wanted some of that. Here's what that means for me. It means this for me. If my neighbor was dying of coronavirus at home, I would go serve her. Uh, Not because I want to be courageous. I'm not courageous. But because that's the gospel. I'd strap on a N95 mask and may not do the trick perfectly, but I'd do it anyway. I'd wash my hands a whole bunch and I would get next to her and serve her. Because God says we're not to be stoppers. We're to be conduits of his love and faithfulness to others. And I wouldn't do it in a reckless fashion. Of course not. But we got to understand as gospel teaching, gospel believing folks that self-preservation is not ultimately what God calls us to. Even though it's incredibly difficult, we know that what God calls us to is love and faithfulness, to live out the gospel, to pray with our feet, to go to those who are in need, and to empty ourselves. As Jesus, though he was in very nature God, emptied himself, became nothing for us, so he would invite us as Christians to to do that for one another and even for those around us. You see, the gospel, if you're taking notes here today, the gospel is not about me. It's about what Christ would do in me and through me. This, my friends, is critical. This is Christianity 101. The gospel is not about me. It's about what Christ would do in me and through me. I'm so grateful for our church. I'm so proud of our church. And as we come back to church next week, I just want you to know how proud I am of you, how grateful I am for the ways that you have done this in small ways and large ways, even over these past few months. Let me share with you just a few statistics that you'll see up on your screen here. Uh, We have something here at our church called a grace offering. And a grace offering is something that we do on a quarterly basis in which we receive money from our church specifically to go 100% to the needs of people in our church and in the broader community. I want you to know this. Between March and May of 2019, one year ago, we received $10,000 to that grace offering. In these three months this year, we received almost three times that. $27,000 to to that grace offering to go to the needs of people in our community. Here's what it was used for through your generosity, even through some lean times over these past few months. Um, Our D&D team, Deacon and Deaconess team, hand-delivered 40 Easter baskets as people went through a drive-through time here at the church, and we prayed for each one of them as they delivered 40 Easter baskets to, to families in need. We made phone calls to folks who have been furloughed and we asked them, could you use a gift certificate to a grocery store right now? And as we made phone calls to dozens and dozens and dozens of families in our church who have been furloughed from work, 
At least 28 families said, yes, I could use that right now. And so we've been giving gift certificates to, to those folks. And over in our storehouse, we hand-delivered 253 Home For Now grocery bags full of all kinds of food and toiletries to folks in our community and folks in our church. 253 families received those by between March and April through our storehouse. And every single one of those families in each and every one of those examples was touched from six feet away. Prayed for, loved, not just given a gift, but loved. Because this is who we are. Here I am, God. Like, prayer can get pretty boring when you think it's just one way talking to God. But prayer starts to get dangerous when you recognize that God is on the move and he wants to use you. Prayer gets dangerous when we begin to pray with our feet. Prayer gets dangerous when we say, not my will, but yours be done, oh God. Prayer gets dangerous when we say, here I am, God, I want to do your will, whatever it might be. Prayer gets dangerous when we say, Father, forgive me my sins as I forgive other people their sins. This is what we're called to, to be a people who falls upon our knees in prayer and says, God, I want to do your work. I want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. Here I am. Would you use me? I can't wait to learn how he does that in you and through you, how he changes you through the gift of prayer, how he uses you in other people's lives. But let's pray that together. Here I am, God. Use me. Oh, Father, we're... We're grateful that though you could do it all, you choose in your providence to use us for your great work in the world. And so right where we are right now in our living room, in our bedrooms, in our kitchens, I just want to invite you, would you be willing in this moment with me, wherever you're sitting, just to open up your palms And would you say to God with me, here I am. Here I am. Father, we want to pray with our feet. (laughs) We ask that you would use us for your glorious purposes in our community. We ask that you would protect us, but even more than protection, we ask that you would use us for your name and for the good of those around us. Here we are, ready to do your will.